Well, this morning we'll be continuing our study in 2 Corinthians. If you want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that'll be the focus of our study. Um, there's a, a story that's shared by an English pastor from Guernsey, uh, United Kingdom, about a family who had never been to the big city before. And you, you may have known some people like this. I know when, when I was a pastor in East Texas, we took a teenager to Dallas. And when we got there, he, had, he was amazed. And I was like, what are you amazed about? He was just standing there staring. He had never seen an escalator before. Um, well, this pastor shares this story about a family who had never been to the big city. And so here's how the story goes. He said, a family from a remote area was making their first visit to a big city. They checked into a grand hotel and stood in amazement as they looked at the impressive sight. Well, leaving the reception desk, they came to the elevator entrance. They had never seen an elevator before. And so they just stared at it, unable to figure out what in the world they were supposed to do and what it was used for. So as they were standing there, an old lady hobbled up to the elevator doors they opened and she went inside and then the door closed behind her and about a minute later the door opened and out came this beautiful good-looking woman well the dad couldn't stop staring and he was he was standing there next to his son patting him on the head and he said son go get your mother Well, you know, the father of this story thought he had just witnessed some sort of miraculous transformation. What was this little magic box that could turn an old lady into a beautiful young woman? Well, as absurd as this might sound, I'm afraid it is often what we hope and pray for when it comes to spiritual transformation in our lives. We want instantaneous transformation. We want instant spiritual maturity. We want all of our sinful desires to just magically disappear. We don't understand why the war continues to rage inside us between the flesh and the spirit. We struggle to see God's plan at work in our lives. And we flounder. In our mediocrity. Mediocrity in our prayers. Mediocrity in our Bible study. Mediocrity in our Bible reading. Mediocrity in our witnessing. Mediocrity in ridding ourselves of all the sin that weighs us down and trips us up. You see, the problem is that there is nothing about spiritual growth and maturity that comes quickly. We need to think about discipleship more like a crock pot instead of a microwave. But frankly, a lot of us are just too impatient to wait on the crock pot. Well, this morning, we're going to be focusing on the concept of transformation. Specifically, the life-transforming power of the gospel, the new covenant that we talked about 
uh, beginning last week. We did look at how uh, the new covenant fulfilled in the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how that uh, it is able to give us life. And that's what we talked about last week, the life-giving power of the new covenant. But this week, I want us to think about the life-transforming power of the new covenant. Now, last, last week, we considered the exclusivity of the gospel because Jesus is the way and there is no other way. Jesus is the truth and there is no one else who embodies truth like him. And Jesus is the life because there is no life found in any other name other than his. So today we're going to continue this study through 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we'll be reading through the rest of this chapter. But rather than reading all of it right now, I'm going to read it piece by piece as we walk through our text. So if you have your Bible or if you're looking at the Uversion Bible app, I invite you to begin reading with me in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The Bible says, Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So this morning we have four points I want to look at. And the first of these points is the glory of the Old Covenant. The glory of the Old Covenant. And when we're talking about the Old Covenant, if you... Uh, we're in community group study this past week. You know that it's not just one thing. It's multiple things. And, and that's what was so great about the song that David led us in earlier is that it, it touched on Abraham and Moses and David. And those are three of the, the four main covenants that we find in the Old Testament. The Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the Davidic covenant. But here it talks about the old covenant, referring to the truth from the, the scripture, the Old Testament. And it says that it, it calls it the ministry of death carved in letters of stone. So what is this ministry of death carved in letters of stone referring to? Well, it is the Mosaic covenant. Or in other words, the Ten Commandments given to Moses that were carved on two stones by God. You see, this Mosaic covenant was an agreement that was made between God and Israel just after their exodus from Egypt. While they were still in the desert, wandering around, they were at the foot of the mountain called Mount Sinai. And God came down and met with Moses on that mountain. The covenant, as I said, consisted of ten commandments that the Israelites were to obey. These commandments were written on two stone tablets. Now the first set of tablets were broken. If you remember uh, Exodus chapter 32, the, the people of Israel had given up on Moses. They had decided, well, he's gone. we got to come up with something else. We need... We need to have a God that we can worship. And so Aaron, Moses' brother, told them to gather together all of their gold. And he formed a golden calf. 
And then Aaron said, look, behold, Israel, this is the God who delivered you out of slavery. Can you imagine what an affront that was to God? Moses was told by God, you need to go down because there's some crazy stuff going on down there at the bottom of the mountain. And so Moses went down and he saw it and he got so angry. He threw the tablets and the tablets broke. Well, in Exodus 34, we see that God renews this covenant. It first came to us in Exodus 20 with the giving of the Ten Commandments. But in Exodus 34, the covenant is renewed. And God gave Moses another set of tablets. Now, when we think about the covenants of God, you know, some of God's promises are unconditional, meaning that our obedience or disobedience will not affect whether or not God fulfills his promise. But many of God's promises are conditional, meaning that his promise will only be fulfilled when we do our part uh, in fulfilling our responsibilities in this promise. This was the case with the Mosaic Covenant. It was a conditional promise. You see, in this covenant, God commanded the people to obey certain rules and their obedience would determine the amount of blessing that they would experience in their lives. Now, the reason that Paul referred to the old covenant or these these ten commandments as the, the ministry of death is because the simple fact is, is that there is no one who is able to fulfill the Ten Commandments perfectly. There is no one who can obey God's commandments perfectly. And as a result, the sin that they commit, it brings forth death. That's what the Bible tells us, that the penalty for sin is death. And you say, well, I I do a pretty good job, Brother Wade. I mean, I, I've never killed anybody. I've never stolen anything. I've never worshipped an idol. Well, you probably have. You just didn't realize it. But you say, I, I'm doing pretty good. Well, just in case you think you're doing pretty good, James tells us in chapter 2, verse 10, Forever who, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. See, folks, it's not about 80% is passing or 70% is passing. It's all or nothing. If you, if you are guilty in one point, you're guilty of all of it. And so that's why Paul here tell, calls this the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone. He said, if it came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Now, when we look at this verse and we uh, look at this concept of glory, we need to figure out what is that glory that it's referring to here. Now, when Moses came down from the mountain the mount of Mount Sinai, 
And he had the two tablets in his arms. When he came down, the Bible tells us in Exodus 34 that his face was glowing. His face was literally shining. Okay? Um, Let's look at Exodus chapter 34 for just a moment. Exodus 34 in verse 29, the Bible says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Now, if we skip ahead to verse 33, it tells us what Moses did about it. It says, and when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what, what he was commanded, then he would cover his face once again. You see, when Moses went in and spent time with God in the presence of the Lord, he was transformed into the image of God. He shone, his face shone like a light. This was an outward manifestation of the presence of God. A stamp of approval, if you will, or an affirmation that Moses was in God's presence and that Moses was God's spokesperson. So here we find the giving of the Old Testament, uh, sorry, the Old Covenant, the covenant that was referred to as a ministry of death. And yet the ministry of death had a glory that was apparent. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, the Apostle Paul refers to the, the old covenant or the law as a guardian, or in the King James it refers to it as a schoolmaster. Now this term guardian or schoolmaster uh, can be defined as a tutor or some, someone who serves as a guardian to guide uh, a, a group of boys. In fact, among the Greeks and the Romans, uh, the name was applied to trustworthy slaves who were charged with the duty of supervising the life and the morals of children. So why would Paul refer to this old covenant as a guardian? Why would he refer to this as a schoolmaster? Well, you see, the Ten Commandments did for, does for us what it, these guardians did for these children. They, they helped them to see how they should live. They guarded their morals. They, they supervised their life. The Ten Commandments did all of this for God's people. The role of the Old Covenant was to point people to their need of salvation. 
Because they could not measure up to the standard that God had set. He said, obey these commandments. And if you disobey even one of them, you're guilty of all. This law, this guardian, this schoolmaster shows us how we fail. We fall short. In fact, you know the verse in Romans chapter 3 that that is quoted so often, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They have, we've missed the mark because the, the, the bar was set too high. We could not live up to that standard. Well, the glory of the old covenant is a reminder of the great and holy and creator God. The covenant set a standard that no man or woman born of a man and woman could ever hope to keep. And it's a reminder for us that we stand before God condemned. But as glorious as the old covenant was, Paul points out that the new covenant, this ministry of the spirit, will have even more glory. So let's keep reading here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We read through verse 8. Now let's pick up in verse 9. It says, For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, in other words, the ministry of death, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpassed it, that surpasses it. For if what, <coughs> excuse me, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. So we, we started out by looking at the glory of the old covenant. Now let's think about the glory of the new covenant. You see, the glory of the new covenant is far superior to that of the glory of the old covenant. Verse 9 tells us, For if there was, a, was glory in the ministry of condemnation, there's much more glory in the ministry of righteousness. You see, the ministry of the Old Testament, by means of the commandments, that ministry of the old covenant condemned men. But the ministry of the new covenant, by means of the Spirit of God, that covenant leads men to faith in Jesus Christ. And it brings us to the imputation of Christ's righteousness on our behalf. You see, the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been given to us, imputed to our account, put on our account so that we no longer have that sin debt. He has covered our sin debt. You might think about it this way when it comes to the glory of the old covenant compared to the new covenant. Imagine you're, you're outside in a very dark, dark place uh, and you have a candle lit. It, it brings a lot of light, does it not? But how much light do you see from that candle once the sun comes up? You see, the old covenant is that candle. It sheds some light on what was going to come. 
but Jesus Christ is the light of the world. There will be no end to the glory of God in the new covenant. Let's keep reading. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. It goes on and says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So the third point that I want us to consider this morning is that is the freedom of the or the freedom in the new covenant, the freedom that we find in the new covenant. You see, the new covenant, unlike the old covenant, which uh, gave no hope, the new covenant offers hope. And that hope that we have in Jesus Christ gives us boldness is what it tells us here. You see, unlike Moses who hid the glory of God that was shining on his face, we can be bold in our witness. When our lives shine forth the glory of God, we can be bold about it. That's what Jesus told us to do in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God wants us to shine forth on his behalf boldly, to be a witness for him. That's why 1 Peter 2 tells us, to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when you speak or when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Did you notice the two things that we found there in those verses? The point of shining for the Lord is so that they can see our good deeds. Now, as David mentioned earlier, it's not by our works that we have uh, anything from God. It is by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But we are saved to do good works, Ephesians 2.10 tells us. We're saved unto good works. And so when we think about the freedom that we, that's talked about here, and we're going to get to it down in verse 17 in a minute uh, where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom when we think about that freedom we need to understand that freedom is not the right to do whatever we want do you hear me freedom is not the right to do whatever we want freedom is the right and responsibility to do what is right that's what our country was founded upon 
But more importantly, that's what Scripture teaches us to do. We are to live in such a way that people will see our good works and glorify us. No, 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 that's not what it says. So that they can see our good works and give glory to our Father that is in heaven. You see, the new covenant offers life in Christ. And he gives us that freedom. We're not necessarily sure why Moses chose to cover his face with a veil. Uh, I mean, it could be a number of things. I mean, he may have just noticed, oh, everybody's scared of me. What's going on? I better cover my face. It may have been something else. We don't really know why. We only know that he did. And we also know that his actions became prophetic in a sense. You see, Paul compares Moses' veiled face to the hardened hearts of unbelievers who cannot see the promises of God because they refuse to acknowledge Christ as the fulfillment of those promises. That's what it tells us here. Verse 15, to this day, whenever the, the old covenant Whenever Moses, the law of Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Verse 14, it says their hearts were hardened. But, I love verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, it says the veil is lifted. They can see the truth. They can experience the new covenant, the freedom that comes from the new covenant. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And when the veil is removed, they experience freedom in Christ. Romans 8 verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Praise the Lord. We no longer have to worry about the law of sin and death. Why? Because we have freedom in Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Why did he set us free? So we could experience freedom. Praise the Lord. One final verse in this chapter, 2 Corinthians 3.18 it goes on and it says, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Last thing I want us to consider this morning is the transforming power of the new covenant the transforming power of the new covenant what does it mean to be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another well i think for us to understand that concept we also have to understand what was going on with moses and what was happening in his situation because when referring to the glory that was on Moses' face, Paul says here twice in this passage 
that it was being brought to an end. Did you notice that as we read it earlier? The glory on Moses' face was being brought to an end. This meant that the glory on Moses' face, the, the glory that he experienced in the presence of the Lord, was diminishing day by day. Let's say he met with the Lord on the fifth Sunday of, or fifth Sunday, the fifth day of the month. And he didn't meet with him until the 30th. Well, all that time, he had, he had experienced the presence of the Lord. His face shone. But in the days that followed, the glory was diminishing. It was fading. Why? Because he wasn't in the presence of the Lord. Now, in contrast to Moses' glory, the glory of the Lord in our transformed lives is increasing day by day. Or, in other words, from one degree of glory to another. But we should note this. That only happens in a transformed life. The glory of God will show, shine forth from our lives if we're allowing the Spirit of God to transform us day by day. If our spirit is being renewed day by day, then the, the glory of God will be increasing day by day from one degree of glory to another. So what does that transformed life look like? It's one thing to talk about God transforming us, but what does it actually look like? Well, um, as you spend time with your community groups this week, you're going to focus on that issue in your study. Um, the thing is, is that uh, when, you, when you ask the question, what does a transformed life look like, you really kind of have to read the whole thing here to get it. That's what the Bible's all about, folks. It's how we should live our lives in such a way to bring honor to God so that people will see our good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. The, the Bible is all about that. So for us to try to sit here today and, and give you a, a full comprehensive concept of what it means to have a transformed life, I couldn't do that if I, if I wanted to. But, and you know, you're going to study it in your community groups as well. But that's not going to be comprehensive either. So, what I'd like to do just for a moment is kind of give you that, that 30,000 foot view. Looking down. What does a transformed life look like in the big picture? Alright? Three things that I, I see here. The first is transformation starts with justification. Transformation starts with justification. What, is, what does justification mean? That's a, that's a weird word. That's not something we use every day. Well, to be justified means to be declared righteous. Or an, an easy way to remember it is justified means to be made just as if I had never sinned. I am justified. I am declared righteous. You see, this is, 
the process of salvation, of regeneration, when God takes us from an old sinful person and creates us and makes us a new creation, that's regeneration. The new life that we have in Jesus Christ. When we place our faith in him, we are made into a new creation. And in that moment, when we are made into a new creation, we are reconciled with God. All of the all of the barriers of sin that have been keeping us separated from God, that's no longer there because Jesus Christ's blood has covered our sin. Our debt has been paid. His righteousness has been imputed on our behalf. We now can have a relationship with God because we've been justified. We've been regenerated because of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And so then, we are delivered from the penalty of sin. Delivered from the penalty of sin. That's the first, first step, if you will, in a transformed life. The second is that transformation continues. It starts with justification, but transformation continues with sanctification once again with the big words <laughs> but it's important for us to understand what it means to be sanctified to be set apart to be holy you see sanctification is just the theological term talking about spiritual growth growing in our spiritual walk becoming more mature once we are reconciled with God he begins the long process of transforming our lives to look more and more and more like Jesus every day. That, in a nutshell, is sanctification. That's what we mean when we say to grow spiritually. Even though we are no longer under the penalty of sin, our sinful nature still struggles within us because we're still in the flesh. And yes, God has recreated us into a new creation in our spirit but the, the the spirit and the flesh are at war within us and so this process of sanctification is when little by little as God is at work in us day by day we are being delivered from the power that sin has in our life in the first step justification we said we were delivered from the penalty of sin but in sanctification, we're being delivered from the power of sin. And as we become more and more like Jesus, sin has less and less power in our lives. Folks, I don't know if you heard me say this or not, but pay close attention here. This is a very long process. That's why Eugene Peterson called it a long obedience in the same direction. Day by day, we make the choice to obey God and do what he says. And we get up the next day and guess what? It's a battle again. Over and over. It's a long, long process. Good news though, it will come to an end. The day you die. 
Until then, it's a process. It is sanctification. So transformation starts with justification. Transformation continues with sanctification. And then thirdly, transformation culminates with glorification. In other words, we all will be changed. We have the promise of eternal life in heaven someday when we die. And when that day comes, we will experience the ultimate transformation because we will be delivered from the presence of sin. The penalty of sin is gone. The power of sin still remains. But one day, we will be delivered from sin's presence altogether. I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says about this. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. We have the promise of eternity with God because of Jesus Christ. Transformation will culminate in our glorification. We all will be changed. In Romans chapter 12, one of the most uh, prominent passages of Scripture about transformation, Paul explains what we must do to experience transformation in our lives. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Well, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul describes this process for us. And if you will, please, I'm going to read Colossians 3, verses 5 through 17. And I want you to listen closely to this process. There are five things that we're going to look at. Five things to put to death, to put away, to put on. Notice what he says here. Paul wrote, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. So what should we do? We should put them to death. Verse 8, he goes on, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So we should put to death these sinful desires. And we should put away all these sinful thoughts and these sinful ways of speaking, lying, and the and the like. And verse 10. 
put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. You see that? Once again, we find this concept of our minds being renewed. That's the process of transformation. It is the renewal of our minds. It said, our mind, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, what? These godly characteristics. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving one another or forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must do. This is how we can know that we are being transformed because we have these godly characteristics. And then in verse 14, he goes on and says, and above all, put on love. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving or thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father that is in heaven. Folks, that's what a transformed life looks like. And these five things in Colossians chapter 3, I think, are the steps <coughs> that we need to take in order to experience that transformed life. And by the way, if you're sitting here this morning, if you're watching this on our uh, live stream, your process of transformation is not over. None of us are exempt from this message today. You may not have a relationship with God yet. So if that's the case, you need to be reconciled with him by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But if you have that relationship, then you need to be going through that process of renewing your mind day by day. We have five steps here to experience a, a transformed life. Put to death sinful desires. Put away all sinful thoughts and speech. Put on the new self or a renewed mind. Put on godly characteristics and put on love. My question for you this morning is, which of these areas do you need to work on? We all need to work on it. Which one needs to be your priority? What will you do to work on it? When are you going to do it? 
In just a moment, we're going to have a song, and it's going to be a time where you can think and pray on this. And ask the Lord, what do you want me to do, Lord? How am I not living the way you want me to? What do I need to do, Lord? Do I have sinful desires that I need to crucify in my life? Do I need to change my thoughts? Maybe that includes changing the people that you hang around because they influence your thoughts. Whatever the situation that you need to do, I want you to pray this morning, what do I need to work on? What will I do to change it? And when am I going to do it? There's no better time to start than today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. I thank you for the opportunity to share these truths this morning. Father, I thank you for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that offered up his life as a ransom for the, the debt of sin that I owed. Lord, thank you for my salvation in him. Lord, now may I live my life in such a way that I bring glory to you. Lord, may I live my life in such a way that people will see the things that I'm doing and realize that it's nothing I could do, but only through your power, through your spirit, Lord. Lord, I pray for each one here today. I pray, Lord, that this message will not just be in one ear and out the other. But, Lord, I pray that they will see their need for a day-by-day -day renewal of their minds. Lord, convict the hearts of each one here to know what they need to do, know what they need to work on this morning. Lord, we trust that your Spirit will do that. And, Lord, we trust in his enabling power to help us become conform to the image of your son. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.